If you didn't bring a Bible, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. First Chronicles. We're in chapter 18. First Chronicles 18. While you're turning there, a quick note. If you were here on Saturday night this past week or Sunday first service, you were given some wrong information regarding the work day. If you show up Saturday morning for the work day this week, there won't be much work for you to do. So it's actually the 11th. Um, it's not this Saturday the 4th. It's the following Saturday the 11th from 8 until noon. Um, uh, so if you, if you know of anybody or if you were planning on it, God bless you, but come back the 11th. Um, we have some work, some landscape work that needs to be done to finish up um, the parking lot work that's been done. So please plan on coming on the 11th for a few hours. It'll be from 8 to noon, but any time in there that you could lend a hand, that would be great. We wanted to include the ladies, that's why, because you guys be gone on the, and we know you want to push a wheelbarrow around a little bit and everything, so, you know, we didn't want to leave you out of that. First Chronicles 18, uh, as we continue to look at now again the life of David as the chronicler records for us, most believe it's Ezra, there's some debate about who wrote First and Second Chronicles, really doesn't matter. Um, but it's now as we're going through this, we'll see some interesting things that depending on how far we get tonight. Um, Second Samuel records the same stories, but there are, you'll notice as we, if we, as we progress through, some details that are left out of Chronicles that are included in Second Samuel. And we talked as we go through First and Second Kings, there's information that are included in both. So I always want to encourage you, be reading both of those. We'll be um, covering again this, this week, the story in David's life. Last time we talked of the fact that David really had it on his heart that he wanted to build the temple for God. He, he, he realized it was just something that was laid on his heart. He's living in this palace and the Ark of the Covenant is in a tent. And he was thinking, man, I, I would love to build a temple for the Lord. And when he first brought that to Nathan, then Nathan was like, hey man, that sounds great. That's got to be from the Lord. That's, you know, that's, that's it all good. Go for it. The Lord spoke to Nathan overnight saying, no, David is not the one who is going to build the temple for me. And we find out that it's his son Solomon who will build the temple. We talked about that in kind of a transition in this because I think that this is an important transition or segue. We saw that David's response to that was not one of feeling sorry for himself. It wasn't one of complaining, you know, come on, God, this is a great thing. This is, this is wonderful. I want to go do this. And it, it wasn't one of that. It was like, God, you know what's best. You are in control, whatever it is that you would have for me. And that's important, especially as, as Christians and our desire is to live all out for the Lord. And there's going to be some things that sometimes come to our heart that sound like good things. And if we moved forward in those things, nobody could say, well, that was, that was all wrong. That was all bad. But the problem is God knows what's best. And sometimes the good can get in the way of the best. Even if those things, again, are very godly, are, are good things. But if God is, is we, we see over and over, God is with David. When God is with us, we also need, then need to seek him. Okay, Lord, I want you to be involved in every plan, everything that, that moves forward. And I, I, I say that because as we transition then in David's prayer, as we saw his response to God telling him no, we see as we now transition into chapter 18, notice it says, now after this, 
It came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them and took Gath and its towns from the hand of the Philistines. God's hand was continually. We're going to see this two times when we get down to verse 6. I'll reference it again there. But we're going to see God's hand is with David. He's prospering. He's moving forward. And it's because he wasn't sitting around saying, oh, woe is me. You know, I wanted to do this, but God wouldn't let me. That closed the door. So I guess I'm just going to sulk at home. <laughs> no, he went out and he's, and he's continuing to, to have victory. And we see here that he defeats the Philistines and took Gath, its hometown, from the hand of the Philistines. The first time this has happened in the history of the children of Israel. Now they control this entire area all the way up to the Mediterranean Sea. He defeated Moab, and the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. Defeats the Moabites, who, who had their area down, down east towards the, the Dead Sea. So they have all the way from the West Mediterranean, the east, the northern part of the Dead Sea area. They are now even coming under the rule of Israel and even paying now tribute to David and to, to Israel. David, verse 3, also defeated Hadadzer, the king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, as, and went to establish his rule to the Euphrates River. Now, this, this northern boundary had never been even approached before. Now, Israel stretches all the way to the north up to the Euphrates River. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but reserved enough of them for 100 chariots, one of the things that God warned against was accumulating horses and, and that type of thing for that, the, the, the warfare and that. So we see David following that rule, not multiplying horses. We've spoken of the other part of that verse says to not multiply wives either. David didn't pay attention to that one. When the Arameans of Damascus came to help Adadzer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 men of the Arameans. David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus. So all the way Damascus, the Euphrates River up in the north. Arame the Arameans became servants to David, bringing tribute. And notice it says, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. The Lord helped David wherever he went. We see a man, we know this of David. The Bible tells us this. God himself says David was a man after his own heart, a man after God's heart. A man who desired for the majority of his life. We see little stumbles along the way, but the majority of his life always seeking after God, always pursuing the heart of God. And he's the, the, the psalmist, obviously, as we know, written, writing most of the psalms including Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his will, he, in his law, he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Not that it, he wasn't doing it out of compulsion. It wasn't a requirement. His delight is in the law of the Lord. How do you delight in the law of the Lord? Well, you delight in the Lord of the law. That's first. Understanding who he is. And David, understanding the creator God, the one who he'd spend all of this time sitting out beneath the, the stars at night, watching over the sheep and just marveling at how great God is. And then the fact that God, that God, the creator God, would 
be mindful of me? That he would care enough about me to, to share his law with me? David had a heart that if, if that God, the creator God, loved me enough to share his heart with me, his law, his concern for me with me, the least I could do is delight in it, to meditate on it, to, to take it in, not just, not just to read over it, not just to gloss over it, not just to spend that little five-minute devotional time in the morning and check it off the list and go, to meditate on it to marinate in it, to seek the heart of the Lord, the law of the Lord, not just to meditate and marinate in it, but then to obey it, to do it, to follow it. He goes on in verse three, he says, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The one who seeks after the heart of God, the desires of God, the law of God, everything, the entire counsel of God, desires it, but then again, takes it in and walks in it. That man, it tells us, will prosper in everything that he does. Now, I know, maybe some of your antennas just went up there. We're going to get into just some name it and claim it time now. Are we going to, you know, prosperity teaching? Yes. But we need to understand what prosperity means to God. What that prosperity is. It's not the way the world measures prosperity. A verse that many people use in that thing, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's Philippians 4.13. In context, Philippians 4.11 through 13 says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the key to prosperity. The key to prosperity is content. Being content with whatever God has for you. And if we are, Paul said, notice first of all, Paul says, I have learned to be content. <laughs> Contentment is a learned behavior. And we need to embrace that. David went through, we, we read these, th these, these stories right now. David, victory after victory after victory, but the years that David spent running and in a cave and all of those things that God was using to prepare him for these times. Contentment. I've learned contentment. And in that now, it, Paul says, you know what? I could, I could be driving a Lamborghini or I could be driving a Yugo. Doesn't matter. And I'm, it's, I'm, it's prosperous regardless. Be living in a mansion. I could be living in a tent doesn't matter because my delight is in the law of the Lord. My delight is, what he, is, is in what he has for me. And when we do that and when we walk in that, guys, that's when we prosper. That's when everything clicks. 
We see that as David lives this out and, and he's having great victory, great military victory. He is having victory after victory after victory. You want victory in your life over and over and over, victory in your life. The key, delight in the law of the Lord, meditate on it day and night, be obedient to what God calls and speaks to your heart, walk in the power that is ours in the Lord Jesus, and you will have victory. The Lord will be with you wherever you go. Verse 7, David took the shields of gold, which were carried by the servants of Hadadzer, and brought them to Jerusalem. The, the, the spoils of the, these conquests. Notice verse 8, also from Tibnath and from Kun, cities of Hadadzer, David took a large amount of bronze, notice, with which Solomon made the bronze sea and the pillars and the bronze utensil. David, remember, the Lord said, no, you're not going to build the temple. David said, okay, I'll get all the materials needed so that the one who's going to build it has those things. And that blesses me. That blesses me because when God says no to me, am I excited about helping the one who God said yes to? Or am I jealous? That's what I wanted to do. That's the ministry I wanted. That's the this, that's the that. Or am I like, you know what? God said no. God said yes to them. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that, I, that, that that goes the way God has intended it. I, I want to do my part to lift up arms, to come alongside whatever it is. David's heart in this, <laughs> going out, providing, get, getting all of these things. Verse 9, now when Tohu, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadzer, king of Zobah, he sent Hadoram, his son, to King David to greet him and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadzer and had defeated him, for Hadadzer had been at war with Tohu. And Hadoram brought all kinds of articles of gold and silver and bronze. So here we see one smart king. He sees this, these victories that are happening, and David actually defeated one of his enemies. And so he sends his son with a blessing saying, thanks, Dave. <laughs> Appreciate that. Now, I don't have this battle going on anymore. Sends gifts that way too. And again, notice King David also dedicated these to the Lord with the silver and the gold, which he had carried away from all the nations, from Edom, Moab, the sons of Ammon, the Philistines, and from Amalek. Moreover, Abishai, the son of Zariah, defeated 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom, and all the Edomites became servants of David, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. There it is again. We see the, the borders now. As if we had a map, you could check this out all the way again from the Damascus, Euphrates River, down to the Dead Sea, and over to the Mediterranean. The most real estate that has ever been held by Israel is at this time with King David. And by the way, it's the area that God promised Abraham. As far as the Euphrates, God promised Abraham back in Genesis 15. And here it is. Now possessing all that God promised. God made that promise to Abraham, and here it's finally fulfilled. Guys, don't give up 
anywhere short of every, anything that God has for you. Everything that God has for you. So far, so often we give up so far short of everything that God has for us. Absolute total victory in all areas of our lives has been what's been purchased for us. Not one square inch belonging to the enemy. Every bit of our life belonging to the Lord Jesus. And it's, there, there, there is battles involved. There are, there are fights involved daily. That's why we have to put our armor on daily. Because the enemy is relentless. But again, we fight from a position of victory. We fight with the, the power of the Lord in us, the, his word that we have. Beautiful picture here now of possessing all that God had promised. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and he administered justice and righteousness for all his people. The wonderful king. Justice and righteousness for everyone. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. So we're going to look the next couple of verses at the cabinet, if you would. Jehoshaphat, the son of uh, Elhilud, was the recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Abimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. And Shavasa was secretary. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And the sons of David were chiefs at the king's side. And there was no approval process. No <laughs> submittal to Congress. This is, these are the ones. You know, another thing though, again, that now Israel now controls all of this. Saul, we don't have a record of Saul's men that he had around him. His, but we do have a record of David. But notice how small the cabinet is. There aren't any czars. <laughs> Do you, know, do you know why it's so small? Psalm 1. Because God was still in control. David still, still submitted everything to God. This is still, still the only time as we're going to see, unfortunately, as we move on through the rest of the kings, where Israel could still be called a theocracy. It was still David king, but God was the ruler. And God defined right and wrong. It was God's will, God's way, God's laws. They, they delighted in it and they meditated on it. And guys, that's the, the best way. Just kind of just reflecting on that just personally with this. He administered, verse 14, administered justice and righteousness for all his people. And that is the only way, is when it's God's way completely. When we go with God's law, period. You know, it's been in an, in an effort, unfortunately, in our country since its inception with all of the amendments and everything that's been added on to try to change and the laws that have been brought in that it's, are supposed to be bringing equity and fairness to everyone that have destroyed equity and fairness and to, for everyone. Because God knows best. The enemy is a liar. The one who has brought all of these other things and, in, and put them into the, the perfect law, added all of these things on. God said, don't add anything. Don't take anything away from it. 
chapter 19. Now it came about after this, Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, died, and his son became king in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So David sent messengers to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the sons of Ammon to Hanan to console him. Now, this is an interesting exchange that we're going to see here. There's certainly some things we can learn from it. But just as at, at the outset, the Ammonites have been enemies of Israel the whole time. We don't know exactly what it is here where it says that David says, because his father showed kindness to me. There's no record of that in the Bible specifically. Most believe that it was while Saul was fighting against the Ammonites and Saul, David was running from Saul, that just like he had done with the Philistines, had perhaps maybe come to them somehow had some involvement with them and was extended kindness by them, by the king to David. That's what most believe. But we know, obviously, there was something that took place. This Nahash king, he dies. So David hears of it and sends a contingent of his, of his leading guys to just go and to bring consolation to them, to the, to the son. Notice verse 3, though, but the princes of the sons of Ammon said to Hanan, do you think that David is honoring your father and that he has sent comforters to you? Have not his servants come to, to you to search and to overthrow and to spy out the land? David didn't send these guys to make you feel better and console you that your father passed away. He's here to spy on you. He thinks you're weak. He's trying to figure out all of this all of these things so that he can come and overthrow you. So Hanan took David's servants and shaved them and cut off their garments in the middle as far as their hips and sent them away. These, what this act that is done here was done purposely to totally humiliate these men. First of all, cutting their hair, shaving their beards. Back then, you grew beards back then as part of showing your, your masculinity because women can't grow beards. So men would grow beards and that would be a sign of masculinity. So to cut or to shave it off was, was a direct insult to their manhood. And then they cut off their, their robes in the middle section, so sending them home naked totally to humiliate them. Notice verse 5, then certain persons went and told David about the men, and he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly humiliated. And the king said, stay at Jericho until your beards grow, and then return. You know, it's interesting when we look at this. Sometimes, it doesn't matter how hard we try. It doesn't matter how genuine our intentions are. We're going to be misunderstood. We're going to be misrepresented. The, the words that we say, the actions that we present to others, again, completely in love, 
but totally mistaken, misunderstood. Especially at times, again, when as Christians, when we go to the world, to those around us, perhaps coworker, family member, perhaps you've, you can uh, probably could turn the microphone over. We could all give examples of this where we've, we've spoken the truth in love to someone. Genuinely caring about their lifestyle and where that is leading. And we speak the truth in love and the response is, who are you to judge me? And the, the backlash that then comes. We spoke of this on, on Sunday. Jesus said, when that happens, when you are truly, with your, you're representing me and you face persecution because of that, first of all, rejoice because Jesus said, they, they, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. This servant is not greater than his master. But he also said, blessed are you when you face ridicule, when you face persecution, when you face backlash because of me, because great is your reward in heaven. We need to make sure that our heart and our motives are right, but we can't, we can't we're not responsible for their reaction. And if you have been hurt that way, perhaps even humiliated, you know, maybe it was at a Thanksgiving dinner and, you, you know, most of the family is not saved and you, you boldly shared about Jesus and the, and the response came back in a humiliating way. I just want to, I just want to encourage you, your beard will grow back. It's not, it's not the end. David in this, you know, it just, by the time they got to Jericho, no doubt they had stopped and gotten other clothes, but they, he said, you know what? You just stay here. It's okay to take a time to, to heal in that, but your beard will grow back. And when it does, you know, come on back. You haven't lost a place. Everything is, everything will be here for you. Verse six, interesting, when the sons of Ammon saw that they had made themselves odious to David, that word, because you don't know, it's literally a stench. When they realized what they had done and, and you know, they, 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 they kicked the sleeping bear, if you would. Hanan and his son, the sons of Ammon sent a thousand talents of silver to hire for themselves chariots and horsemen from Mesopotamia, from the, from Aramaka and from Zoba. If we, if we find that we have done wrong, if no matter what it is that initially maybe set out our response, but then however it might come back to us, the word got back to them that you guys were totally wrong. This. They, they actually did come to just, just bring you well wishes. David doesn't even have the army assembled yet, but he's getting it now. <laughs> Our response, when, when, when that would come to us, because there are going to be times, un unintentionally, sometimes unfortunately intentionally, we're going to say something in our flesh, maybe to, to, to and, and it, we find out that it was wrong, that we were wrong. Our response always must be, you go to that person, say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Bible tells us that, that if, you're, if you're at the altar, if you're before the Lord, you're, you br you're bringing to present your offering, worship, 
whatever that is, and there you remember that someone has something against you. Not that you have something against somebody. Somebody has something against you. It says, leave your offering there and go make it right with that person. I, knowing David as we know him from studying in, in Samuel and, and all that is recorded for us, the, a man after God's own heart, if this, if this king would have come to David and said, you know what, I listened to bad counsel. I am sorry. What, what I did was absolutely out of line. I believe David would have forgiven him. But instead, they, they go out and they, a thousand talents of silver, they go out and they buy reinforcements to go now and fight the battle. Instead of admitting they're wrong, they're going to try to cover it up and go and fight. As you can't make a wrong right by recruiting. You can't make a wrong right by going to Facebook and getting your story out there. By the way, the other side of that, if someone comes to you that has wronged you, that has hurt you, that has harmed you, regardless of how deep that wound is, we can't learn much from Esau, but we can learn how to respond to that from Esau. Because the story, Jacob and Esau, Jacob takes the, the, the blessing, the birthright from Esau and then runs. Years later, they're, they're reunited. Jacob sends all of this stuff and all of this presents and everything to buy back. And he begs, and Esau was like, hey, we're brothers. Keep your stuff. He didn't say, you know what? We got to sit down and hash this thing out. We got to talk about how bad you hurt me. We got to go back through and go through all of the details. No, it was just, you know what? We're brothers. As Christians, somebody comes to you, hey, you know what, I, I, I really messed up. Sorry. That should be the end of it. Verse 7, so they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots, and the king of Makkah and his people who came and camped before Mediba and the sons of Ammon gathered together from their cities and came to battle. When David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army, the, the mighty men. Interesting, David is not sending out the army to go fight. The ones who are the, the ones in the wrong, they're getting the army together to come and fight against David. But David sees it, hears it, sends out Sends out the troops, the mighty men, sons of Ammon, came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the city. And the kings who had come were by themselves in the field. So the hired guns, they're all spread out into the field. Ammonites, they're, they're in the city. So, but, so they kind of have them surrounded, as we'll see here in a second. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him in front and in the rear, he selected from all the choice men of Israel, and they arrayed themselves against the Arameans, 
but the remainder of the people he placed in the hands of Abishai, his brother, and they arrayed themselves against the sons of Ammon. Now at first reading, <laughs> Joab takes all the, the best ones on his side and he gives the leftovers to his brother. But it's really smart militarily because again, the hired guns, they're out here and we're gonna see in a moment. He's gonna see saying, we're gonna take them on. We're gonna, and you take, you, you then fight against those that are in the city. These are the hired guns. These are the warriors out here. We're gonna put the A team out here and you fight there. But notice what he says next. He said to his brother after this, this is the battle plan. If the Arameans are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will help you. Notice verse 13. Verse 13 is a great verse. Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Uh, that, that's a great verse. A great verse to, as to how we handle the things that we face in our lives. Do, be strong. Be courageous. Fight for the right reasons. <laughs> but then leave the outcome to God. Whatever you want, however you want this to play out, Lord. Chuck Smith is one of the quotes that he has, and he's had many. But do your best and commit the rest. Fight, be strong, be courageous, but committed to the Lord. Lord, this is, this is you. This, this is your battle anyway. We're here fighting for, for your glory, for your honor, for your people. Do your best. Commit the rest. Paul writes in the, the church of Colossae, we're to do everything as though we're doing it for the Lord. Everything. I do, I do like, too, how Joab encourages his younger brother in this. Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous. Encouraging. Going into a major battle. They're outnumbered. They certainly, the, other, the enemy has more chariots and more advanced weaponry. Think of Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have the, a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope and without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In Hebrews 10, verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouraging one another. Coming alongside one another. Don't forsake the gathering together. It blesses me to see all of you coming out on a Wednesday night. And I hope that Part of the reason you came was each other, to encourage one another. 
when I, one of the things in Myanmar, when we were there, the, one of the questions, one of the last questions they asked in this one group that we met with, the ones that were really the remote group. And the, the, they asked, you know, they were really, they needed encouragement. Most of them facing severe persecution because of their faith. And the question was, when are you guys coming back? And I said, you know, I, we were taking turns answering the question. I said, let me, let me get this one. <laughs> I said, you know, I can't answer that. Other than to say, when God opens that opportunity, I'd, I'd love to come back. And I took them to that verse in Hebrews chapter 10. And I said, it says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking, notice, our own assembling together. Does, it doesn't say not forsaking getting Pastor Brett back here. Not forsaking getting John back here or, or Philip. No, gather together. Encourage one another. We're all in this battle. We're all fighting as it is here. We're all, we're all in the battle. We're all on the battlefield. We better be. We're going to see in a moment if we get there what happens when we're not. But we all better be engaged in the battle. Yes, we're in different places on the battlefield. Yes, we have different things, but we're all together in this. And we need to encourage one another. Encourage one another to be strong, to be courageous, and to leave the outcome to God. And notice, I love this. May the Lord do what is good in his sight. Verse 14. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Arameans. They went into the battle. They didn't sit back. They went and engaged the enemy. And notice what happened. And they fled before him. <laughs> the enemy took off and started running. What does the Bible tell us about us when we, again, not in our own strength, in the strength of the Lord, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And do not, do not take him on in your own power. Make sure your armor is on and securely fastened. Armed with the word of the Lord. Resist and he will flee from us. I know I've done this with, with you guys and shared this with you numerous times before, but I did this again in Myanmar. It was fun because I had an audience that had never heard it before. But it, it's always good to, rem, to remind ourselves that opposite game. Say, say one thing, you say the opposite. So, so you're white, good, light, Satan. I'll see you guys fell for it. No! The, op the opposite of Satan is not God. God is on a totally other level. He, he, is, he transcends the opposite game. <laughs> the opposite of Satan is Gabriel. They're both angels. One's fallen and evil. One is good doing the will of God. But see, that's the thing we have to understand in this battle, the one we're fighting for. Bible says greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But it's not just a little greater. It's immeasurably greater. He will flee from us because of who is in us, not because of us. 
and I love this too, when the sons of Ammon saw that the Arameans fled, they also fled. So it's not just the devil that flees, it's all his demonic forces and everything else too. They also fled before Abishai, his brother, and entered the city. Then Joab came to Jerusalem. When the Arameans saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they sent messengers and brought out the Arameans who were beyond the river with Shopak, the commander of the army, Hadadzer leading them. When it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came up to them and drew up in formation against them. And when David drew up in battle array against the Arameans, they fought against them. The Arameans fled before Israel. David killed of the Arameans 7,000 charioteers, 40,000 foot soldiers, and put to death Shopak, the commander of the army. So when the servants of Hadadzer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with David and served him. Thus the Arameans were not willing to help the sons of Ammon anymore. <laughs> chapter 20, a short chapter, only eight verses, because of about two chapters that are left out between verse 1 and 2. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that Joab led out the army and ravaged the land of the sons of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem, and Joab struck Rabbah and overthrew it. David stayed at Jerusalem. We know from 2 Samuel chapter 11 that this is when he stayed back, when he should have been out when kings go to war in the springtime. And what happened then? He was out on the balcony one evening, and his neighbor Bathsheba was taking a bath fell into adultery, she got pregnant, trying to cover it up, ends up having her husband murdered. Should have been out to war, should have been fighting, but he wasn't. It says in verse two, David took the crown of the king from his head and he found it to weigh a talent of gold and there was a precious stone on it, and it was placed on David's head, and he brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount. A talent of gold is about 75 pounds. That's quite a, quite a crown. Probably was not one that was worn very long. Probably more on a display, perhaps, but here we see Joab goes out to fight, once the battle is done, the victory is won, David then is called out to go and kind of ceremoniously or whatever it is to take, take the crown and everything. He brought out the people who were in it and cut them with saws and with sharp instruments and with axes. And thus David did to all the cities of the sons of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Now verse three, your translation might, render it in such a way that it makes it sound like David put them to work using axes and saws and sharp instruments. But that's not the way it reads in the original language. Now, there's some disagreement over that. But for a moment, let's, let's look at it as to the way it's literally written, that he literally cut them to pieces. What could cause David to do that? What? What would possess a man like David, who is a warrior, no doubt, but to go to that 
extent. Sin in his life. See, it's at this point where he still has not repented. He still has not had that encounter with Nathan when he repents. And we can see maybe perhaps a little glimpse, and I'm not being dogmatic about this, but we could get a little clue perhaps when, when Nathan confronted David and he gave him this story about a man who had all sorts of sheep. This rich man had a whole bunch of sheep and his neighbor, very poor, only had one little lamb. And this rich man, a neighbor, a friend, or a friend comes to visit him from afar off and in order to feed him, he steals the lamb from his neighbor, his only lamb, kills that and offers it to his neighbor. David's reaction? That man should die. Well, that's a little harsh since the law said you should pay fourfold. So the law said he should pay four of his sheep back. David said he should die. Nathan said, you're the man. And bottom line, sin can manifest itself in harshness, a critical spirit. And just to touch on this, because we don't have time to delve into it too deep, but if you find yourself in that way sometimes, because I, there, there are times when, when I, I can be irritable, I can be short, I can be harsh. And this is, this is just a good reminder. I, if that is true, if there's a, if, if there's a response that way, do a check. God, is there anything in me? Search me. If there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you. Is there, there sin in my life that I need to deal with? So often when we are confronted even by others, something that we've said or done, our, our response oftentimes can be attack back, right? Instead of receiving and saying, you know what? I am wrong in that. I do need to deal with that. Well, let's quickly finish the chapter here. Chapter four, or I'm sorry, verse four. Now it came about after this that war broke out at Gezer with the Philistines. Then Shebekai the Hushite killed Sapai, one of the descendants of the giants, and they were subdued. And there was war with the Philistines again. And Elhanan, the son of Jair, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath, the, the Gittite. Now, Goliath, remember, big Goliath David killed? Now, his name was probably Lammy, but I'm not calling David's brother Lammy. Or, I'm sorry, Goliath's brother Lammy, whose shaft was the size of a weaver's beam. Again, he was at war with Gath, and there was a man of great stature, a man he had 24 fingers and toes, six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot. Interesting, why is that recorded for us? No idea, but kind of interesting. He was also a descendant of the giants. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shammai, David's brother, killed him. He taunted Israel. Maybe he said, I'm going to torture you six ways. But, I don't, but they killed him. These were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Again, we see the giants. No match for the, the children of God. Interesting. Just chapter, chapter 20 in itself, an interesting chapter. We don't have a lot of time to go into that. Maybe we'll lead into that next week as we 
go into chapter 21. Um, interesting that it, it leaves that entire story out about Bathsheba, not, not mentioned at all. To me, again, we talked about this. This is written after the Jews have been in exile as they come back. Ezra is writing this. And it's all about restoration then. It's all about God's faithfulness and restoration. And I love the fact that Hebrews 11, like the hall of faith, you know, talking about Abraham and Sarah and all of that, doesn't mention any of their shortcomings. Just talk about their faith. The hall of faith blesses me to know that, you know, as, as Christians, the hall of faith, when our, our little plaque, however that worked out, and I'm not going to be mentioning any of, the, any of the other stuff. Just Harold had faith. Van had faith. Carl, faith. Faith going to be. All of the stuff, the, the sin of Abraham, his lack of faith, when he said, tell him you're my sister. Not once, but twice. <laughs> what happens in Genesis stays in Genesis. It's not recorded in Hebrews. Lord Jesus, we thank you that because of your blood shed for us, we stand before you blameless, justified, declared right. Lord, we thank you for that incredible gift and our desire, Lord, is to walk in a manner worthy of that. Go before us this week, Lord. Give us opportunity to share that hope that we have in you. Pray in Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good remainder of the week.